0: Acts 15. Just to recap a little bit of the stuff that's been going on lately out here at church, I just want to say to you, if, if you've never been out to the garage sale giveaway, you, you don't get an understanding of, of how that all comes together, how the fellowship hall is basically transformed into just this eclectic collection of stuff. And then Wednesday night, when all that stuff's there, you look at it and you say, oh boy, um, we have a lot of cleanup to do on Saturday. And then as every day you come in, there's just more stuff gone. More people have shown up. More people are blessed. And, I, and I've said this to you so many times. I just love the concept of it. Just as the gospel is free, everything at the garage sale giveaway is free. And a big thank you to everybody that helped there behind the scenes. And just great opportunities there just to share and witness and encourage. What a blessing that was. What a neat blessing that was. And as Renee mentioned too, we got a group on a short-term missions trip. They uh, left at 6.30 this morning. They should be arriving here shortly. Just need to keep them in prayer, just for a blessed week as well. Church camp, baptism coming up. A lot of neat stuff going on. Thank you for keeping all these events at church in prayer. That's the only way it works, is when the Lord has given the attention and the focus there. So, with that being said, Acts 15 this morning. We finished up Paul's first missionary journey last week. And now, we're at an interesting point here in the book of Acts. Because what happens here in the book of Acts, there's really two things that are going to happen. There's going to be two lessons here in Acts 15. The first one is there's a theological debate that pops up. This is the really first doctrinal debate that's happened. If you're at your timeline here in the book of Acts, we're probably about 18 years past when Christ died on the cross. So there's this debate that's going to pop up, and the debate is very simple. You want to be saved through Jesus? Fine, be saved through Jesus, but also get circumcised at the same time. There's this theological debate. How did the church handle it? How can we handle that here too? Because if any of you have ever been in any church for longer than one service, you know that Christians like to argue. And we like to argue about things that don't matter. But yet, this is the fleshly response. Marriage, life, anytime you're around people, work, there's always these discussions and disputes that pop up. How do we handle this as a church theologically and the next week as individuals? That's what Acts 15 is about here. So a lot of good points here as we're going to get into this. And I hope you're as blessed by this as I am as well as we go into it. So Acts 15 verse 1. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. When they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church, the apostles, and elders. And they reported the things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believe rose up saying, It's necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. First thing we're going to do is to set the scene here. Alan, if you want to put that first uh, slide up there. I think it's important for us as we go through these teachings to kind of know what we're talking about. You can't get a real great picture of this. But as you can see down here at the bottom is Judea. You can't really see real well. Right above that is Jerusalem. Very long story short... The green area up there by the uh, sea is Phoenicia. You can see Samaria. Paul's coming down from the north. There's these people coming up from the south, Judea. They're all meeting now in Jerusalem. And as they meet in Jerusalem, they're going to debate this. They're going to discuss this to kind of see what's going on. just wanted you to have that to get that picture there. This is a turning point in the book of Acts. Because if they allow this teaching to come in, everything completely changes. Here's a verse that we're going to stress this morning, and I'm going to say it numerous times. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. You are saved through grace and grace alone. Now, this is a fundamental concept, but for some reason, this still sneaks in. Now, I don't think it sneaks in this idea of Jesus and circumcision anymore. That doesn't pop up nowadays, but we've changed it with other things. Oh, you want to be saved? Well, accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. Amen. You're saved, but also get baptized. You know, you want to be saved? Okay, accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. Okay, go through that, accepting Jesus. But then there's also this catechism. There's this sacrament. There's this thing you need to do. No, it's Jesus and Jesus alone. There, there's this fundamental point that comes across. In and, and this theological discussion, there's two words. There's something called grace alone and grace and. Grace alone means just that. Grace alone. It's Jesus and Christ alone is the only thing that saves you. The other concept, grace and, is you take Jesus' salvation, but you add one thing to it. Now, that doesn't sound too bad, because the things that you're adding to it have some merit in it. Baptism. We're going to have a baptism service next Sunday. Baptism is a good thing. But baptism does not save you in any way whatsoever. Some of these other things have good merits to them. But if you add it to salvation, you're taking away what Christ did on the cross. Remember what Jesus said on the cross. It is finished. had a pastor friend say one time he did not say to be continued. It is finished. It is done. There is nothing that can be added to what Jesus did. And what you see here in Acts 15 is there's this group that wants to add to Christ. Now, it sure sounds kind of nice. Jews, Christians, let's meet in the middle. So we'll, we'll accept Jesus as our Savior, but let's just add some elements of the law to it circumcision and the law. And can't we just be one big happy family? No, because that's compromising and that's taking away what Christ did on the cross. Let me stress this verse to you again. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, not of works lest any man should boast. There is nothing you need to do to have a relationship with Christ and experience heaven other than Jesus and Jesus alone. Anytime you add something to that, you're adding to the work that is already finished and completed and you're basing your salvation on something you did. It's not based on that. It is finished. Christ alone. If the church compromises on this issue at this time, everything is completely different. They had to take a stand. They had to make a stand. And that's exactly what they did. Grace alone. Paul even takes it one step further in Romans 3. He makes it clear that there's nothing even redeemable in us. This is the picture of grace. In Romans chapter 3, he says we're really just full of sin. We're really worthless. There's nothing in us in any way whatsoever that even be redeemable. So that's even a bigger picture of grace that that me as this sinful person that is just absolutely horrible and just makes all these mistakes and choices and just my life is a mess. Jesus still says, I'll die for you. I I want to. That's grace. Grace. There's nothing I bring to the table. I think sometimes we still think we add something to it. That Jesus saved me because he knew I could do this. Jesus saved me because he says, Hey, James could be a help for me in this way. I am no help in any way whatsoever. None. I, thank you, Jonathan. Hope you're one of those that got saved at church camp, Jonathan. I'm just going to be quiet because I'm more mature. Um... You know, with me, with the boys, the boys always want to come up and help me. As you guys know, i got five kids, and the five boys always want to help me do something. They're not a help in any way whatsoever. If I'm doing a project and the boys want to come help me, it's going to take twice as long. It's just a fact. The other day I was working on something down in the basement, and the boys wanted to help. Okay, so I'm working on something. I'm standing there trying to fix something. I said, "Go, okay, go grab me a screwdriver. They brought back a crescent wrench. Okay, that's not a screwdriver. That's a, okay, go grab me a screwdriver. They brought back and now a socket. It takes twice as long. I, one of the things I always tell Dawn is I could get things accomplished quicker and better if they wouldn't help. I think sometimes spiritually it's not the truth with the Lord. If he would just get us out of the way, how much easier would things go? But he chooses to work with us. He wants to have a relationship with us. And as a father, I try to remember that. And it's difficult at that moment to say, it is better for me to have this project take twice as long, get screwed up twice as much, just to have my boys with me to build that relationship. Same thing with the Lord. He really could do a much better job without us. But He still chooses to use us. That's grace. And so we may look at this and say, what's the big deal? I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe he's the only way to get to heaven. I believe that. But I also think this, and fill in the blank on what you want to make this, I think this is good, and I think this adds. No, it doesn't add to it. It may be good. It may be beneficial for you spiritually, but you cannot add anything to salvation. And I would drive this point home again and again. You may know that here, you may believe that here, but I guarantee you, as you go out and live your Christian life, you will run into people and different groups and denominations and religions that are going to agree with you on Jesus, but they just want to add something to salvation. It's for by grace you have been saved through faith, not by works, lest any man should boast. To add something to what Jesus did on the cross is really to demean what he did on the cross, because it wasn't enough. He said, it is finished, it is done. We have to be careful about adding to what Jesus did. Grace. So, how does the church handle this? Well, verse 2. They had no small dissension and dispute with them. Some translations say that they argued, they disagreed, they debated. They weren't going to compromise on this. It's amazing how, as a church, and I don't mean harvest, I mean the body of Christ, we've reached this point in the world now where we're almost apologetic for what we believe. And this idea of that we're, we're not going to take a stand. And so when ideas like this pop up, we're like, well, I don't want to push my beliefs on anybody. I'm not pushing a belief. We're taking a stand for what's right. We need to understand what we believe and why we believe it. That's the fundamentals of what we do. With that being said, we have to realize what are things that are worth arguing about. You've heard me mention this before. We call it the, the three-level pyramid out here. At the bottom level are things that we can agree to disagree on. It's really not a big deal, and it's not worth having an argument over. I always use this example of Melchizedek out of the book of Genesis. If you're familiar with that story, there's this guy that appears in the book of Genesis, Melchizedek. And he just appears for a brief moment and disappears. But there's these other verses about him, and you kind of try to say, okay, who is this? Is this a guy that the Lord used? Is this actually a um, appearance of Christ in the Old Testament? And you can sit here and debate and talk about it. It's the bottom level. It's not worth arguing over. If someone came to me and said, well, I'm not talking to so-and-so because we disagree on Melchizedek," I would say, come on, man, get over that. Bottom level, it's not worth arguing over. Second level. Second level are things that you would say, you know what, I disagree with you. Here are my scriptural reasons why. I can still call you my brother and sister in Christ, but we're not going to see eye to eye on this. I always use the example of the rapture. There's pre-trip, there's mid-trip, there's post-trip. I have people that I know that are born again and saved, and they believe in a post-tribulation rapture. I always tease them. I have no problem with them being wrong. I still love them. We're brothers and sisters in the Lord. It doesn't affect our fellowship, but I disagree, and, and it's not something I'm going to say. You know what? I'm not going to say I agree to disagree. I do disagree with you on that, and here's some scriptural reason. It doesn't have to be an argument. But then there's this last level. This last level, I can't agree to disagree on any way whatsoever. If someone comes to me and says, I don't believe Genesis through Revelation is really the word of God, I'm going to have a struggle with that. I don't really believe in the virgin birth. Well, that's going to be a problem. I believe that Jesus is a way to get to heaven, but I believe there's many ways. No. See, it's that top level that we can't compromise on. We can't disagree on in any way whatsoever. That is what makes us brothers and sisters in Christ. So Paul and Barnabas in the church here, when they say, you know what, we we can't bend on this one. This is salvation. We're not bending on this one. So they are going to dissent. They are going to dispute. They are going to debate. They're going to fight about this. And this is not some cuff throwing chairs. This is we're going to sit down and we're going to talk about this and see what God has to say about this. That's where we need to talk about this right now. Because it's important for us to see this. Three quick points on this. And I'm not going to have you turn to all the passages. I'm just going to make reference to some of them. We have a biblical responsibility as Christians that anytime something comes up of a doctrinal issue, we are responsible to test that to see if it lines up with Scripture. 1 John four one says we're supposed to test the spirits to see if they're of God. So if somebody comes to you with a belief, you are responsible to say, does that line up with God's Word? I'm supposed to test that because false teaching will be there. Paul, in Acts 17, he was teaching a group of people called the Bereans and the Bereans or commended in the Bible because they actually just didn't take what Paul said and said, well, we accept it. They actually went to the scriptures and tested it out to make sure it lined up a scripture. Any teaching you hear, I don't care if it's in this building or on radio or TV, you are biblically responsible to test that teaching out to make sure it lines up a scripture. That is a responsibility you have. Now, don't take this the wrong way. It's not my responsibility to test it for you. I'm not around you 24-7. It is your responsibility to put the work into it and say, Is this right? And to seek the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, and say, Is this right? Now, if you have a question, don't be afraid to come to me. I would gladly try to help you. But it has to go through your filter to say, Is this of God or not? You have to test it. And I think there's too many times someone stands up with the Bible, quotes a verse, and we just say, Sounds good. There's a lot of verses in this Bible. He can make it say whatever you want. We need to test it. The next point. We need to know that there will be false teaching. It will happen. Turn with me, if you will, to 2 Peter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. We need to understand there will be false teaching. It will happen. It's trying to sneak into the church. 2 Peter chapter 2. And let's go ahead and pick it up here right away in verse 1, 2 Peter 2, verse 1. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you. Stop right there. There will be false teachers among you. It is going to happen. Who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. It will happen. There will be false teachers. This has happened out here at church before. I remember years ago, there was an individual that was bringing in some false teaching to the church. And so it reached a point of where we needed to be done, and we had to say, this doesn't work anymore. We need to ask you to go. About two weeks after we asked this person to go, another person showed up, brand new. Brought in the same false teaching. And I remember somebody pulled me aside, a gal pulled me aside and said, just because you asked the person to leave, doesn't mean that that spirit of false teaching has left. It's going to be there. That false teaching is all over the place. It just kind of changes every now and then. Do you realize a few years ago, the big false teaching out there was, is Jesus married? Remember that? Is Jesus married? So people, does Jesus have a wife, etc.? And you know, you'd come and say, well, you know, let's test this. Let's go back to our first point. Let's test this with the scriptures. The Bible says Jesus did not have an earthly wife, but he has a spiritual bride in us. So is Jesus married? Yes, to us, the bride of Christ. Then a couple years ago, there was a false teaching popped up. It was in May. You remember that. Jesus was returning. We already had the date. They had billboards. How could it be wrong? I mean, if a billboard says it's going to happen, it's going to happen false teaching and you know what's going to happen there's going to be another false teaching that pops in this is how the system works the enemy is always trying to sneak something in sometimes it's just like it says secretly bring in destructive heresies sometimes it's just blatant you're going to run into co-workers friends and family when you start talking about jesus oh they believe in jesus But their belief of Jesus either has him as the spiritual brother of Satan, or Jesus was the first created being. There's these false teachings that kind of try to creep in. We're responsible to test everything, and we're responsible to realize this false teaching will be there. Let's build on this one more time. Go with me to 2 Timothy 4. 2 Timothy 4. Just head to the left about five, six books. 2 Timothy 4. As you go to 2 Timothy 4, we're going to go ahead and start it off here in verse 2. 2 Timothy 4, verse 2 says, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. Let's stop there for a second. Our calling is to preach the word, our calling is to be people of God's word. Now, just like last week, we've been talking a lot about discipleship and strengthening and encouraging, being disciples that make disciples. I like to ask questions. This question is not here to convict you. This question is not to make you feel uncomfortable. But verse 2. When's the last time that you used God's word to convince somebody of something? Rebuke somebody of something? Exhort them with patience and teaching. That's what we're called to do. Are we doing those things? Why do we need to do it? Verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, and do the work of evangelists, fulfill your ministry. Boy, we're in that right now. People want to hear what they want to hear. They heap up for themselves teachers with itching ears that makes them feel better. And think about this. If you spiritually know what you're supposed to be doing, And yet you come to church, and as you hear the word of God being taught that convicts you, that makes you feel uncomfortable, you're probably not going to come back next week. Because why would you want to go feel uncomfortable? So what do we do? We find the teaching that doesn't make us feel uncomfortable. We find that teaching that's a little bit of a compromise. I like to call it cotton candy Christianity. It tastes good. It doesn't really make me feel uncomfortable. So I find that church that does that. I go. I feel good. I went to church. Nobody says anything that makes me feel uncomfortable, and everybody's happy problem is you can't live off cotton candy, physically and or spiritually. If you live off that, there is no growth. And this is what happens with a lot of churches. We so water down the message of salvation and sin and the biblical mandates God has given us that we're no longer preaching the truth. We're just saying things and mentioning God and love and heaven. We're supposed to preach the word. We need to be ready for that. Which takes us to our last point. First point was we're supposed to test out the teaching. Number two, understand there will be false teaching. What's our third point? Our third point is this. 2 Timothy, stay right in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Look at verse 1. But know this, in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. Boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power from such people turn away. Okay, I think we'd agree that's where we're at. This is the world now. What is our response to that then, church? What are we supposed to do? Verse 14, excuse me, verse 13, same chapter. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. That from the childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. The man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Okay, we know this false teaching is coming. Verse 13, evil men and imposters. What are we supposed to do? Verse 14, continue in what we've been taught. Verse 15, parents, if you have kids at home, do everything you can to ingrain scriptures into them. From a childhood, from a young age, teach them the scriptures because that's what will not return void. And that will be able to help them test what is real and true. So when somebody comes up with some really strange, funky concept of Christianity or Jesus, as soon as we hear it, we can stop and say, that's not right. That, that, that doesn't line up with scripture. Because there is some strange stuff out there that people accept. We used to teach this Friday night Bible study in our house going back when we first got married about 18 years ago. And we had this very unique group of people that would come. And sometimes people would bring in these things that you would stop and shake your head a little bit and say, I don't even know what to say to that. I keep them on a the shelf. I have them in my office. Have you ever been in my office? My bottom shelf is my little false teaching section that I like to keep the strange ones. I'll just share this one. Somebody brought this in. And thought there was some truth to it. They supposedly found over in Israel that church had the foreskin of Jesus when he was circumcised. And they were going to take its DNA and replicate Jesus. And that was the second coming. And they were raising money to do this. And I thought, that is so strange I don't even know where to begin. But that's what some people thought is acceptable and okay. And you hear that and you think, okay, if we would test that with the scriptures, it doesn't line up. That's a false teaching that comes up. How do I know this? Because right here, verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's useful for four things. First one, doctrine. What is doctrine? Foundational truth. Doctrine. Jesus, virgin birth, he is God, died on the cross for your sins, heaven, hell. Doctrine—that That is what we're supposed to use God's Word for, is doctrine. Next one, reproof or rebuke. That there comes a time in your life where you need to go to somebody and say, I love you, but you're wrong. And it's not just me saying you're wrong, it's God's Word that says you're wrong. Now, I just don't leave them hanging there and tell them they're wrong, because it goes to the next one, correction. God's Word then also says, this is the correct way to live your life. And then the last one, instruction, training, teaching what we're doing right now. If you would take God's Word and do those four things in your life, let it be the foundation of your doctrine, let it rebuke you when you're wrong, let it correct you when you're wrong, but let you train you in what's right, you're in really good shape. That's the importance of being in the Word of God. That's why it's so vital to understand it and to know it and to be in it. Because if you're not in it, how does this system even supposed to work? I just want to sum this up real quick. Can you put that next slide up there, Alan? Just three quick verses here. I just kind of want to talk about this real quick. First one For end it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, that is, it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now, we say this out here at church a lot. If there's a verse, one verse in the Bible, it's already important, God said it. If you see that verse repeated two times, you really better pay attention. If they start saying it three times, you probably should automatically start marking it and underlining it. This phrase right here, the just shall live by faith, is mentioned four times in the Bible, that verse is quoted. It initially was, was written by Habakkuk, and then it's repeated three other times. God is trying to make a point here. The just shall live by faith. Okay, what does faith do? Faith reveals the righteousness of God. I did not see Christ die on the cross. But in faith I believe it. I have never seen heaven. But in faith I believe that's where I go when I die. I have never seen the fires of hell. But in faith I believe that's where I go if I choose to reject Jesus. Our whole life is based on faith. Faith in this idea of what we read and believe in the Bible. That's why faith is so important. Hebrews says this, without faith... It's impossible to please God. So unless you have faith that this system is true, it doesn't do any good. So how do you get more faith? Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing and by hearing the word of God. As you are in God's word, it grows your faith. And as your faith grows... Guess what happens? Luke twenty four thirty two, And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while well, he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? As I'm in the word, it makes my heart burn for more of the Lord. And as my heart burns for more of the Lord, guess what I do? I go back into the word. And as I'm in the word more, it makes me burn more for the Lord. That's the system. It's this cycle that keeps repeating itself. So if you're sitting there this morning and you're saying, Well, my heart doesn't burn as strong for the Lord as it could. Let's just go back to square one. Are you in the word? And I don't mean just in the word like casually. This like, my, well, my devotion has a verse a day with a thought and a prayer. I am not trying to put down that devotion a day with a verse, a thought, and a prayer. I'm talking about being in the word. Being in the word. Studying it. Growing it. The Bible uses this term, meditate on the word. which means to chew on it again and again and again. Because as I'm in the word, it grows my faith, which makes my heart burn for more of the Lord. Which makes me then go back and be in the word. Worship is amazing. I love worship, but there's no promise in the Bible that worship makes my heart burn for the Lord. Fellowship is amazing. Service is amazing. All those things are great, but it's God's word that makes you burn for more of the Lord. We use this term a lot of called being on fire for Christ. Oh, to be on fire for Christ needs to be in the word. I can't make you be in the word. But I can do this. I can encourage you. One of the things that we're going to do out here, and we're going to start this this week, is, um, you know, the church has got this uh, Facebook page. I'm not a Facebook guy. I don't have Facebook. So anytime I need something put on Facebook, I contact Heather Carpenter and say, can you please put this on Facebook for me? So Heather is the Facebook gal. Psalm 119 is this wonderful psalm. It's the longest chapter in the Bible, and it's all about God's Word. And it's broken down to the different letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And there's numerous sections in it. And it's going to take few weeks to go through it. What we're going to start doing this week is we're just going to take one of those sections, it's all about God's Word and we're just going to break it down by the different letters of the Hebrew alphabet and we're just going to put that on the church Facebook page and then you and your time of devotions and prayer can go look at that, read that and then as you get through this study I hope your heart will burn for the Word because as you get in Psalm 119 it encourages you, it uplifts you, it strengthens you. That's what God's Word does and I hope by you finishing this study with us as a church Your heart will burn for the Word of God. Because as your heart burns for the Word of God, that means you're in the Word, which makes your faith grow. Sometimes people come in and they say, I just don't feel real strong in my walk. First question I always ask them, how's your time in the Word? I'm not in the Word that much. So since he's not in the Word that much, there's not that type of growth. So... This is why it's so important to be in the Word of God. Because that grows us as believers. And as that grows us as believers, that encourages, uplifts us, helps us. If any of you have ever gone through a difficult time and I talk to you on the phone, I usually end the conversation with telling you to go read one psalm. Because psalms is God's Word that brings that spiritual healing. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Now let's move on here we got a couple of house cleaning sections in verses 1 through 5 that we just need to meet real quick. So we talked about them arguing and dissension and disputing in a good way. In a good way. But look at right through real quick verse 3. As they go through these different areas, it says, Describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. Their appearance, them coming, brought joy to the church. You know, we're in the summer season. As boats are on the river, they leave a wake behind them. Do you ever kind of wonder what your wake is as you leave people? What they kind of think? I mean, do they walk away saying, you know, amen, I, I, you know, wh- that person brings joy to my life. Amen, that person is a blessing to be around. Or do they walk away saying, amen, they're gone. You know, what, what do you leave behind you? I, I see here Paul and Barnabas, as they went to different towns and peoples, they left behind Joy. I mean, isn't that what we're supposed to be doing as Christians? Is that we leave behind joy and encouragement? I mean, just think about that. As you leave work, are you leaving behind joy and encouragement and a a delightful taste of the Lord? As you end that conversation with your spouse, are you leaving joy and encouragement and you bless them and help them? Or your kids or your relatives? I mean, that's what we're supposed to be doing. As we leave, people are like, amen, I feel uplifted, I feel encouraged by being around that person. Boy, Paul and Barnabas had that. And you see that idea of strengthening and encouraging as they go through it. So, but it takes us to verse 5. Here's the battle. It's necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Verse 6. Now, the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, when there had been much dispute. So, they're getting together and and they're arguing through this. Now, this isn't necessarily bad. Because as believers, you and I will sometimes disagree on things. But if we disagree on things, let's get together. Let's talk about it. Let's pray about it. Let's seek the Lord together on this. There may be some dispute. Verse 7. Proverbs 27, 17 says this. Just as iron sharpens iron, so does one man sharpen his friend. And what happens when iron sharpens iron? Sparks fly. Sometimes when friends get together and they sharpen each other in the Lord, there may be a few sparks. That's not bad. It's bad when the enemy gets in and starts causing division. And start, the enemy starts getting in causing discord. But there's sometimes nothing wrong with, let's get together and consider this matter. We may have to dispute over this. I love you enough to argue with you. You love me enough to argue with me. And once again, I'm not saying a yelling, screaming match, but to say, let's see what the Lord has to say about this. You've heard me mention this point many times before. If somebody comes up and, and they're doing something, I usually ask them two questions. My first question is, have you prayed about this and is this where the Lord led you? Have you prayed about this, this is where the Lord led you? I think that's a pretty straightforward question. If they come back and they say, nope, I haven't prayed about it, then my first response is, well, then before you make any decisions, seek the Lord. If they come back and they say, yes, I prayed about it, this is right where I feel the Lord's led me, my next response is, does it line up with Scripture? Because if it doesn't line up with Scripture, there's a breakdown in the system. And that's what we need to do. Before you make any big life choices or decisions, Make sure you're not making that decision in emotion or anger or frustration. Has the Lord led you to do it? And does that action line up with Scripture? If it doesn't, those should be some pretty red warning flags. Sometimes there's going to be a dispute. The way they come to this conclusion, I'm just going to tell you it before we get into it. We're going to pick up the pace here. Basically, they say this. Peter says, hey guys. I saw the Holy Spirit come on the Gentiles. I know God's moving in them. Paul gets up and says, Hey, I saw God move miracles in the Gentiles. I know God is moving. Remember, Gentiles are anybody that's not Jewish. So we're Gentiles. The last one, James gets up and says, Scripture confirms this. Isn't that a great system? They feel the Lord's leading, they see the Lord's leading, then Scripture confirms God's leading. What do we do as humans? I feel the Lord's leading. Just go, Well, wait a second. I've been walking with the Lord for over 20 years, and there's been many times I have felt things that were not of the Lord. But at that moment, it sure seemed like it was. So you feel the Lord leading, you see the Lord confirming it, and then it's backed up with Scripture. If it's not backed up with Scripture, boy, oh boy, I was just talking to someone on the phone yesterday, and there was something they wanted to do, and my simple question to them was, does Scripture back up your choice? It doesn't. If Scripture doesn't agree with your choice, either God's wrong or you're wrong. I'm not a betting man, but I know who I'd bet on that one. So, Peter, I saw the Holy Spirit move in them verse seven. When there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to him, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God who knows the heart acknowledged this by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did us. They got the Holy Spirit as Gentiles, we got the Holy Spirit as Jews. God's moving in them like us. Made no distinction, verse 9, between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why do you test God? By putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Peter says, hey, they got the same spirit that we did in the same manner. God's opening it up to them. They don't need the law. They don't need circumcision. Verse 12. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. So Paul and Barnabas say, I can back this up too. But then look at James. After they became silent, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with the words of the prophets agreed, just as it is written, After this I will return, and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins. I will set it up, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all these things, known to God from eternity, are his works." James confirms it with Scripture. This is a great system. This is what I encourage you to do. Just like Peter, Paul, and James. You feel the Lord's leading you to do something. You see the Lord confirm that, back it up with Scripture. If you do those three steps, you know you'll be okay. Too often, we don't back it up with Scripture. We just do what we want. Too often, we don't wait for the Lord's confirmation. and We just go with our feelings. Nope. I felt the Lord led me to move this. I see the confirmation the Lord did. It is now backed up with Scripture. I can walk in peace in this. Back it up with the Word of God. And if you can't back it up with the Word of God, step back and say, then am I sure this is what He wants me to do? Verse 19, Therefore I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual morality, from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Very simply put, James says, hey, they don't need to be circumcised to be saved. We're going to make this clear, but we are going to tell them, verse 20, Abstain from things polluted by idols. Stay away from idols. That's good advice. Stay away from sexual immorality. Good advice. From things strangled or from blood. Jewish perspective. Leviticus 17 and 18. There are some very strict dietary rules concerning these things. And what James is basically saying, Hey Gentiles, I know you don't get it. You weren't raised Jewish. That's okay. Just stay away from the blood thing and the strangled thing. It would really make things go better with your Jewish brethren. Pretty simple, straightforward. Verse 22 Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send them men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas. This is a different Judas, not the one who betrayed Jesus, who was also named Barsabbas, and Silas. Silas would go with Paul on his next missionary journey, leading among the brethren. They wrote this letter by them The apostles, the elders, and the brethren to the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Sicilia. Greetings. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your soul, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment, it seemed good to us being assembled with one accord. Stop right there. Unity. Unity. You know, there's a group of elders, deacons, we get together out here as the board at church, and we pray and seek the Lord on what he wants us to do. And we always have these two words we always throw out. Unity and vision. Let us be unified in seeking the Lord and see the vision that God has laid out here for the church. Now, as a board, sometimes we agree. Sometimes we disagree on things. But we get together and we're willing to seek this together and have, verse 25, one accord. Think of how many times in the Bible Jesus prayed for unity. The Bible stresses unity. So what does Satan try to do? Plant seeds of discord. That's what he wants to do. God desires unity among brothers and sisters in Christ. The enemy wants discord. So, so, send chosen men to you. Verse 25, our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas will also report the same things by the word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. You abstain from things offered idols, from blood, from the things strangled, from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these, you will do well Farewell. Simple. You're saved through Jesus. These things will help you in your walk. This is a turning point in the church. If they would have compromised and said, let's bring the law in, let's bring circumcision in, now it's Jesus and. No, it's by grace you have been saved through faith, not of works lest any man should boast. The church had their first theological problem. They got together. They prayed. They had unity. They sought the Lord. No division. No discord. We're not going to start breaking off into little groups here. We will be unified in seeking the Lord together. Let's finish this up to verse 35 and we're done. So when they were sent off, they came to Antioch. When they gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter. Now when they read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. Now Judas and Silas themselves, being prophets also, exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. And after they had stayed there for a time, they were sent back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles. However, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. This is my final point here. We've been talking about discipleship in the book of Acts. That's the whole thing. You are a disciple called to go make disciples. That's what we're called to do. You know, we got those bumper stickers on the back table that we started handing out a couple months ago Just simply says disciple, to just remind you. That's, That's your sole purpose. Look at what they did. Just ask yourself this. And once again, I'm not trying to pick. I'm really just trying to ask you. Verse 31. When's the last time you helped somebody rejoice in their walk with the Lord? When's the last time, verse 31, that you encouraged somebody in their walk with the Lord? Verse 32, when's the last time you exhorted somebody? When's the last time you strengthened somebody? Verse 35, when's the last time you taught or preached the word of the Lord? That's what we're called to do. Encourage, rejoice, exhort, strengthen, teach, preach. Boy, if we would do those things as disciples, the wake we would leave would be joy for people. Imagine your week not being a week of got to get up, go to work, I got to take care of the house, and I got to do this. That your week is a focus of how can I strengthen and encourage people while at work? How can I uplift, teach, and preach while I'm doing this? That's your focus. Start with yourself. Build with your spouse. Build on your family. Then go to your friends and family and coworkers and just see how this spreads out and say, I'm going to be a disciple that makes disciples. Because that's all that matters. If uh, Daniel and Kathy want to come up here for the final psalm. Just remember...